Hi, I'm your host, Brittany Spence, and this is In the Face of Illness. We are a podcast committed to cultivating a greater understanding of the many resources available for families facing childhood illness, because we believe this is a vital topic of conversation, not only for families in the throes of the fight, but for everyone. Ultimately, we are here to offer hope in the face of illness. Holly Carpenter, based in Hermitage, Tennessee, which is right outside Nashville, became a mother to Jameson in July of 2020. Jameson was eight weeks premature, and he spent 31 days in the Ascension St. Thomas Hospital Midtown NICU, primarily for developmental milestones, like learning to suck, swallow, and breathe. Despite challenges with his lung development and mild jaundice, his stay was mostly about growth and readiness to come home. Facing the added complexity of the COVID pandemic and single motherhood, Holly's determination grew. Inspired by her journey, she volunteered for the inaugural Forrest Fund Gala Committee in Nashville. Recognizing her alignment with their mission, Holly joined the Forrest Fund team as the Nashville director in October of 2023, eager to support families during their challenging times. We are honored to have Holly on our podcast today um, to speak about her own journey uh, with Jameson um, and also to talk a little bit about her role um, as our Nashville director. So Holly, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Um, okay, so let's let's get started. We talked a little bit in the opening there um, uh, that Jameson was born in July of 2020, um, but let's go back just a little bit. Did you have any concerns when Jameson was in the womb that he would be perhaps premature? Were you showing any signs? Um, so it's interesting. He was born, we found out at 28 weeks that I was already a centimeter dilated. Oh, wow. Um, okay. But never at that time did anybody say anything about premature. Like it was just, they gave me, um, they put me on what they called a um, um, moderated bed rest. So I could get out of bed and like take a shower, but I couldn't get out of bed, take a shower, you know, make a sandwich, do laundry. Like it was kind of like be up for a little bit and then get back down. Um, so we did that, um, for, that was at 28 weeks at 32 weeks is when I woke up one morning and I was bleeding and I called the doctor and they immediately said, let's go to the hospital. Um, and so at that time, again, no one ever said premature. He was coming early. They gave me steroids um at 28 weeks and at 32 weeks for his lungs oh that's great um, just in case yeah just in case which was a blessing and the other blessing was I had gestational diabetes um which helped him because he was bigger when he was born um and then that 32 weeks day um when I was bleeding they kept me overnight for observation and just said that I wasn't having any contractions there was really no worry they just want to watch me overnight and I remember um, his father asking, well, she's on med- you know, moderated bed rest. Can't we just take her home? And they said, no, because we're worried if something did happen, you wouldn't make it back in time. And so that's when we were like, okay, maybe this isn't just you know, a quick little stay. Um, and the next morning I woke up, it looked like everything was good. They had been watching him and there wasn't any, um, any worry. Um, and I had breakfast. I was just waiting for the doctor to discharge me. And that's when I started um, getting sick and Mm -hmm. couldn't keep anything down, not even water, which I found out later, some women, that's a sign of labor. (laughs) 
not pleasant. Um, and um, at that time, that's when the contractions started, and they were like, okay, we're going to try and stop you. Um, and they pumped me with, I can't even tell you, all the medications, um, and finally got the contractions to stop, and I fell asleep. And I woke up that afternoon or that evening and they started again. And that's when they said, nope, doctor's going to take him. And wow. so at that time okay. I was rushed um, into, into the room to have a C-section and he came out. But it was, it was a lot all at once. And no, in my heart, until we were in the operating room, he wasn't coming until September. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> So uh, really looking back too, I mean, what a blessing that at 28 weeks you showed any signs so they could actually give you the steroids. Cause I know that yeah. quite tremendously helped Jameson's lungs. Cause you said you got two yeah. doses, 28 and 30 or 32. 32. Okay. So right before he was born. Yep. And the interesting thing about it was he, the only reason we knew I was dilated was he, um, the whole time was um, breach okay. and the particular test at, at 28 weeks, they were checking to make sure that he wasn't covering a certain thing or there was a tube and I can't remember what it was, but the tech said, we're going to do a vaginal um, uh, ultrasound. We normally don't do it at this late, but I just want to check. And that's when she noticed that I was dilated. Had she not done that, we wouldn't have known. Right. Um, and okay. so there were definitely, definitely, you know, blessings along the way. And that's why they they're like, we're going to keep you overnight one to make sure you're not about to go into labor, but two, in case you do go early. And I remember that was always the word just in case you go early, but it was never like you're going to go early yeah. until we were rolling into the, the room. <laughs> um, I remember my, my son's Jameson's father calling my mom being like, well, it looks like we're having a baby tonight. And my mom's like, wait, what? <laughs> Wow. Like he's not supposed to come yet. Yeah. Did, um, did you have other signs of preterm labor? Like, did you, I mean, before the bleeding, did you have any, you know, cramping or really? Wow. Okay. No. And that's, you know, they sent me home with a whole list of things. Like if there's cramping, if you have this, if you have that, like there were all these things to keep an eye out for and none of them ever happened. And, um, that was the thing. My, the, funny thing about it was my doctor was actually on vacation that week and she came back and when she finally saw me she goes well that was a surprise I wasn't expecting you to come early and I was like no I wasn't either yeah there were no there was no sign so you do you deliver at St. Francis at St. Thomas at St. Thomas okay so you delivered Mm -hmm. at St. Thomas and then Um, did they immediately take him into the NICU? Were you able to see him? How did that go? Yeah. So they, um, he was born, uh, they took him, you know, into the side where they checked on him and everything and they rolled him over to me so I could see him for a minute. Um, and I said to his father, you just stay with him. Like, don't worry about me. Stay with him. Um, and so he went and I, I still remember I was so angry. I didn't get to go down. He was born at 9-11 at night, which is very ironic because his due date was 9-11. Oh, yeah. Um, so I was like, well, the doctor got that right. Just the wrong date. Um, but he, um, they couldn't get a nurse to bring me down to see him until 2 o'clock that morning. Oh, man. Um, and I just remember, like, it's just, it was so traumatizing. Like, 
not really understanding so much happened within those 12 hours. Um, and then not like literally waiting to see my baby, which was, it wasn't because of him. It was because COVID and all the extra stuff, mm-hmm. um, um, that his father couldn't take me down there because we weren't allowed to go together because of the COVID. Wow. So we had to wait for a nurse and the time that I was finally clear to get in a wheelchair, um, because of the C-section, like there were no nurses available at that time. Okay. And so, yeah, I remember they had me pumping, um, breast milk for him before I even got to see him. Yeah. And that yeah. was, it was, that was a lot. That was, that was the hard part. That's when I realized that like, this isn't going to be the normal experience because we were in COVID. Um, and that that's when our journey was starting. Um, and that was, that was the hard, that was the first hard hurdle we went over, um, waiting, just waiting. Um, I remember his father had gone, obviously had been with him. And then came back to me and I remember him falling asleep on the couch and I was just so angry (laughs) at him um, because I was like, you've already gotten to see the baby and I haven't yet. Like I saw him for a second Um, and all I had were a couple pictures that he had taken on his phone. And so finally they they roll you down and you get to see him um, in the NICU and how is he doing overall? So at that point, he had a lot of um, tubes and uh, they were keeping an eye on his lungs because while he had the steroids, they were still, you know, a little touch and go. And I I remember learning after the fact that NICU and our NICU, if you were towards the back, that was the most critical. And as you got closer to the door, that's where you were closer to coming home. Okay. We were all the way in the back. Um, And I remember it, I, I vividly remember a lot of, beeping and buzzing and I've never had a NICU experience at this point. I had, he's my first child. Um, my nieces and nephews were all healthy. Um, I didn't, other than having a friend that was a NICU nurse, I didn't understand what this, what we were even in yet. Um, and so he had a lot of tubes and I remember he was sleeping, um, and I wasn't able to hold him. Um, and I think that was the hardest, um, Part of it was saying, I just had this baby, he's mine, and I can't hold him. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember I was touching his hand, and I, I don't honestly remember if this first day or the second day, but it was one of those days where the nurse said, you want to be careful how much you touch him um, because he's, you know, he's, he's sleeping. And, that, and I remember just shooting her daggers. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, I'm, I'm touching my baby. This is my baby. And you're not going to let me hold him. I'm going to touch him. Um, but um, he was at that point, he like they, they were just watching him. And within 24 hours, his lungs were good. Um, he had a little bit of jaundice. So for he had the little sunglasses and light on him for about two days. Um, and then that was when he started moving closer to the door. Um, and I once I he I remember going in, I think it was I guess it was after we come home because I do remember I wasn't able to hold him and they were the doctor was nice enough to keep us keep me in the hospital as long as insurance would allow um but I had to go home and I remember saying but I haven't gotten to hold my baby yet and um his father went down and talked to one of the nurses and doctors and they had said no it's it's probably it 
she can do it before she goes home. He's, he's healthy enough at that point. Um, and so, uh, that, that was the biggest thing. I remember saying, I I need to hold my baby before I go home. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So then you finally get to hold him and, um, and is he, is he, doing okay like is he at that point of the beginning is he sucking and swallowing or are they doing a little feeding tube okay yeah he was all feeding tube um and um he was getting all my breast milk um so that was good he only had to have a formula for the first couple of days and then i had it for breast milk mixed in then i had enough um but yeah he was he was i think because I had him on a Tuesday and I was sent home on a Friday. And by that Saturday, he was in the clear as far as health. And literally, they just kept saying he just needs to learn how to suck, salt, swallow, breathe. Yeah. Um, and so that was that was the challenging part because all the nurses kept saying, you have a happy, healthy baby. And I'm like, but he's not home. <laughs> like this, this part, that was that was probably the most challenging. We went over most of the hurdles. He still had. Um, you know, the, the beeping occasionally, um, where he would forget to breathe and they'd have to, you know, adjust him or whatever. Um, and that happened for a couple, probably, probably about six to seven days of that. And then, um, we tried at a week to, um, feed him, to breastfeed him and he, he wasn't getting it yet. Um, and so they said, nope, we're just going to keep um, doing the feeding tube and then at about 10 days is when we got to start trying to bottle feed. Um, and he would get a little bit of it, but then he'd get tired. Um, and so that was really the majority of our journey was just waiting for him to take the bottle, um, which really was hard because, you know, as a mother, you know, I want to get him home and I want to like help him. And, you know, they kept saying to me, you just got to wait, a light is going to flick on. And I remember like, just really having a hard time with that and being like, no, to teach him how to do it. You know, like there, there's got to be a way that we're not waiting for a light to click on. Um, and I remember a doctor saying, you know, be in the state of mind that he'll be home around his due date which felt like years from, you know, it just, and I know we were, we were lucky, you know, there were other babies, you know, in our, in our area, in our cube, if you will, that, you know, weren't doing as well as Seamuson. And that was, you know, a real struggle where like you, you know, you're lucky because it's, you're not dealing with some things that other parents in the queue have. But at the same time, it's like, but this is my journey and my struggle and it's not easy. Um, and so it was a real mental battle um, for those 31 days of, um, you know, knowing I was fortunate, have a happy, healthy baby, but not that knowing he wasn't healthy enough because if he was, he'd be going home. Yeah. Um, but trying to remember the blessings, um, of him because again, because I had gestational diabetes, he was born five pounds, seven ounces. So he had that going for him where if I didn't, he would have been maybe three or four pounds. Um, and it would have been a different journey. So just trying to, you know, count my blessings when I could, but still 
struggling um, and, you know, also trying to heal myself with a C-section and, you know, um, go home every night without your child and all the turmoil. It was, it was just a lot at once. Yeah. Yeah. And so would you just make it almost like a, this is my daily thing. You know, I I go up around this time. I spend this amount of time. I, you know, try to feed them if they'll let me. I try to be a part of it. Tell me about what that was like. Yeah. So um, I was fortunate enough, the company I worked with at the time, um, I asked them if I could keep working remote because I had been because I was on bed rest. Um, and wait until he came home to actually go on my maternity leave. So what I would do is his father would go up because again, we couldn't go together. So his father would go up first thing in the morning and do the seven o'clock feeding. Um, and then I would go up around 10 and be there for that feeding and usually the next feeding and just hold him for a while. And then I'd go home and I'd work. And then depending on how I felt, I would go back that evening. Um, sometimes, or sometimes I would just call the nurse. Um, but usually 75% of the time I was there in the evening as well. Um, and so, you know, um, we kind of had a schedule and then when I wasn't there, I'd be working or breastfeeding, you know, pumping. Um, and that was our life for, for 31 days. Um, I was fortunate enough. My mom came and stayed with me. Um, so she would take care of the dogs, so I didn't have to worry about them. And she'd make dinner, and you know, I had friends that were dropping off food. And at one point, I was like, "Who brought this?" And she's like, "I don't know, but we're heating it up for dinner tonight." Yeah, I was like, that works. Yeah. Um, so you know, I was lucky with that. But yeah, it was a regular routine. Um, I remember another part that was hard was our NICU had the kangaroo cameras, so we can I could watch him on my phone when I wasn't with him. And at one point, when we moved from the back to the front, we lost our kangaroo camera because they didn't have enough. Mm. And um, I remember just being devastated of not like that was part of my routine. Before I went to bed, I watched him. You know, when I breastfed, I was or pumped, I was watching him. And um, that was a battle. Um, every every day, I was like, "Do we have one yet?" And they're like, "No." Um, and I think it was like it, it was like the last day or two before we finally got to go home that they found a camera for us. And at that point it was like, well, I've gotten so used to not having it. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, it was just, it was a routine like you. And during COVID you had three check marks before you could see them, um, see him. So we had to get tested right when we walked in and then right after you, um, when you got into the, children's wing and then again when you got into um, the NICU there were three different points that you had to have a temperature check make sure your mask was on make sure you had the right sticker on that day and so if I went two or three times I would have to go through that process two or three times Um, and I remember just going we're like one one step before you know we're two check marks before the baby or we're three check marks before the baby so that was fun Okay, so tell me a little bit about how you even found out about the Forcements Fund. Oh, okay. I'm going to try and say this without crying every time I think about it. Um, so, um, Christoph, who is your brother, Brittany, um, and I know each other through the hospitality industry. 
and I had come home one day, I remember it was raining, um, and it's, it was a day that I remember thinking, nobody understands what I'm going through. My mom didn't understand, my friends tried to understand, but they didn't, and it's just, you know, again, everyone's like, you have a healthy, happy baby, but they don't understand that you don't get to bring that baby home yet, and that's really hard. Um, and I had just gotten home from NICU and my friend Kelly had sent me a text and said, Hey, Christoph had left something on your front step. He just wanted to make sure you got it because it's raining. And I thought to myself, how does Christoph even know where I live? Um, and so I went and there was this tote bag, um, with stuff for me and the baby from Forrest Spence Fund. Christoph had put a note in there about Forrest Spence being his nephew. And I never, knew that about him and that was the first time that I realized I'm not alone um that there's somebody who isn't even that I mean we were friendly we said hi to each other at networking events but we weren't you know besties with each other's cell phone number kind of thing and there was somebody that genuinely cared about me and my baby and my experience and that's how I first learned about Forrest Benz. And I think I went through all the stuff in the bag. There was a stuffed animal for the baby. There was a roll of quarters. There was toothbrush and toothpaste and a blanket and a book or a magazine, a notebook. And I remember there were um, note cards. And I, I kept the note cards. And I used them at the end of our experience to um, thank all our doctors. And uh, I remember there were pamphlets. and I. I think I read them back to front and then immediately I was online Googling Forrest Fence Fund and trying to learn more about this organization. Um, and so that was, that was my first experience. And it was very, um, very odd and a blessing how it all came about at the time. Yeah. And, and my side is, uh, Christoph reached out and said, Hey, you know, uh, a, you know, someone I know in the industry or whatever had a baby and is in the NICU. And, you know, I'd, I'd love to just drop something off for her to show her, you know, that we care, you know, what, what are your thoughts? And, um, and I was like, of course, you know, happy for us to do whatever we can do. Um, you know, and so, you know, you, you know, as well as I do, Christoph has the biggest heart in the whole world. And yes. so mm-hmm. he just said, you know, I want her to know that she's not alone and that there's somebody that understands. And um, and so I remember vividly getting that phone call of wow. him saying, you know, I, I know her from, you know, seeing her at different things. You know, we're in the same industry and um, I'd love to just drop something off for her. And so, yeah, um, you know, and that's that's really one of the huge reasons I mean, I was. I got a message, um, you know, this weekend from somebody from my hometown who was one of my old teachers um, and and her best friend's great niece, you know, is here at Lebanon or getting heart surgery. And so just reached out and said, I'd love for you to, you know, let them know that y'all are around. And so, you know, we're going to mm-hmm. take a, a care bag down there. You know, it's just a first, just a first way to say, like you said, you're not alone. Someone's thinking of yep. you. And not only are we thinking of you, but kind of we've thought of a lot of things that we think will will make your stay hopefully a little bit easier, you know, just to, yeah. 
you know, just some things that were a blessing to David and I in our journey, but then also that we've heard from other people as well, you know, through the years. Um, And so, you know, it's, 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 you know, there are definitely some things that we have kept all 16 years. um, But that um, we, we actually have a a volunteer who um, is just amazing with us. She's been on our podcast. She actually volunteers to do snack bags and different things in Memphis. She just recently did our leaves because she had a free day. And, um, but we always talk about, she was one of the very first back then we called them care baskets because we used to make them in laundry baskets, um, wicker Ah. laundry baskets back in the, in truly in the day. And she was one of the very first ones, um, to get one. And, um, that was back in like 2009, maybe, Wow. Somewhere around there, 2008, 2009. So it's just, you know, hearing people like you say, man, that really did make a difference. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, that that's why we've continued it for so many years. And it's in every city that we we serve. Um, And then from there, obviously, I I heard from Christoph quite a bit like, hey, Holly wants to get involved. Holly, Holly wants to do some kind of volunteer (laughs) project. Holly, Holly wants to do something. And so um, we added this new event um, this past spring. And so um, you came aboard and were such a huge part of that event and your connections of the DJ and the bartenders and the photo booth and all those things were such a huge part of the event. Um, And then when our old director, Laurel, needed to step back from the position, um, we put it out there. And right away you said, Hey, I really think I could be a fit. Um, and you know, like Laurel, you too, Laurel also had a story of, of having a child that was sick and, and going through all the things that they went through, um, and being impacted by the funds, you know, you did too. And I think, you know, that does make a difference to be able to say, Mm -hmm. you know, this is why we do what we do, um, to be able to make, make the impact. What are some things that you would say to families going through similar circumstances? Um, You know, you've said some of the things for sure, just based upon your 31 days. But what are some things that you would encourage them with? What advice you maybe would give or what do you wish you had known Um, or even resources? What are what are some things you you would say to families that are in similar circumstances? Yeah, well, you know, resources right off the bat is. Spence fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there are, you know, there are Facebook pages that help. Um, I remember I was a part of a mom NICU page um that, you know, helped just to just to have those days where it was just hard. Um, or, you know, getting somebody else saying, Yeah, we we have the same experience and believe me, the, that light flips on and you just don't believe it um when it does. Um I think for me especially for mothers. Um, one of the biggest things I learned is you don't have to be strong all the time. And I'm just that person where I'm, I, I feel like I have to be okay. It's my line in life is I'll figure it out. I always do. Um, but this is one where it is literally out of your control. It is the baby controlling the situation. It is the doctors and the nurses who, as much as you, might want to disagree with them at times. They actually do know what they're talking about. Um, I think I was lucky enough to find that nurse that I clicked with 
early on um, that would actually request our pod um, because she knew that we clicked so well together. Um, and it's it's okay to just cry and pray. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, that, that was probably the hardest part of it is like, you know, especially when you're going through this and people don't understand, it's like, I felt like I had to be strong again because I had a healthy baby and that they didn't understand. And it's kind of like, you know, uh, when you're going through something that somebody else has been going through, you feel like bad if you keep talking about it. But at the time, like that's literally all my life was. It was all consuming with my baby and getting him healthy enough to bring him home. So, you know, you find those people, um, I also found, you know, Christoph was one of them, but I found at the time that people they thought I thought would show up didn't, but the people that I didn't think would show up or never expected did. Um, so, you know, just keeping your eyes and your heart open for anybody that wants to be there to support you and the ones that maybe can't because it's uncomfortable, like it's okay. It doesn't mean they don't love you. It's just hard for them. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's because they have their own experience or they don't understand it um because I I dealt with a lot of people that didn't understand it and it was really hard to not get angry and and um lash out um I wish I did a little more self-care like I said my life literally revolved around going to NICU and what times I went and you know I didn't you know take a time for a bath or you know, read a book just to relax. I was very tense for 31 days. Um, and I, and, and, you know, rightfully so it was COVID. It was a whole nother world. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, I, you know, I was angry with his father because, you know, everyone feels, you know, NICU is a form of grief. I mm-hmm. really truly believe it. Whether you have a, a healthy baby or not. And everyone deals with grief differently, just like everyone will deal with the NICU experience differently. Um, I didn't understand that at the time either. Um, and we had a lot of issues because of the way he was dealing with it versus the way I felt we should be dealing with it. Um, so pray and tears are okay. And, and you don't have to be strong. Yeah. And like you said to reach out to those that, that you can, I mean, I was in a similar situation. I didn't know anybody who had, gone through anything like we are going through and um and there really is this aspect of where you're just in complete survival mode I mean you're in yep. you know I, I wake up I mean I, I remember about two weeks in saying I can't stay at this pace I can't I can't keep doing mm-hmm. what I'm doing or um and part of it is I was forced I got really sick at day 15 and um I had a terrible case of mastitis yeah. and it made me be flu-like feverish and they wouldn't let me in the PICU. And that's when it really hit me of like, okay, they're not letting me see my baby. I have to take care of myself because I've, I've got yeah. to be there for him. And, um, yep. and so I really started to say, okay, you know, um, I'm going to what times I like best is I like the kind of, lunched afternoon evenings and even later mm-hmm. evenings. Um, and so I asked my in-laws if they could go first thing in the morning and they could be with mm-hmm. him in that early time frame. Um, 
And then when I got there, could they please leave? Because I wanted my time. And and we only allowed two yeah. people at a time. And so, um, and so that allowed me to sleep in a little bit, take a shower. Like I wasn't where before those first two weeks, I was literally jumping out of bed, brushing my teeth and, and getting yeah. to the hospital as fast as I could, um, still kind of in my PJs in a way. And so I realized like, okay, I need to shower. I need to get dressed. I need to eat a little something. And because the nurses are available, I would call them as soon as I woke up yep. and say, hey, how was this night? Um, when I yep. pumped in the middle of the night, I called. I mean, they would laugh. because yeah, I could, did that too. They mm-hmm. could hear the machine, you know, the pumping machine. And so they'd always say, you know, you can hear, you know, as I'm talking to them. Um, and so I would call them, you know, when I pumped in the middle of the night, I would call them as soon as I woke up while I was pumping. Um, and then typically that also allowed me to like feed the dog or walk the dog or, you know, pay bills or just take a moment. Um, It wasn't like, I mean, when you say self-care there, there definitely wasn't like, I'm going to go get breakfast with a friend or I'm going to, you know, there was none of that, but it was this, I can't do these 18 hour days at the hospital every day because this is a marathon. It is not a sprint. You know, there's, you know, because fast forward, we ha- we had our second was in the NICU, but his was seven days and it was still really hard, but yep. we knew it was different than Forrest. And so for his, it was still utterly exhausting because we went around the clock even at night because I was so adamant that he was going to breastfeed. And so I mm. would only let him breastfeed I didn't want to give him a bottle because I knew from you know I just knew that he would never probably take my breast again and so that meant we went every two and a half hours even in the middle of the night because I was so adamant about it and looking back again like why did I do that I mean it just was this thing I had in my head and David was great with it he was like yep "Yep, if that's what you want we'll move in his parents were five minutes from that NICU so we moved in with his parents for that week and we went around the clock and we did it. It was fine. But, you know, you just have to figure out what works for you. And for a lot of our NICU families, yeah. especially those that know they're going to be there months on end, you know, they do say like, I, I like you, I have to go back to work because eventually when the baby does come home, I need to have time off because, you know, when the baby's in the hospital, they're being taken care of 24 seven you know, obviously I want to be around and be a part, but there's not going to be 24 hours a day nursing when this baby comes home. And so, um, you know, I do think that's important for us to stress to NICU families of, you know, your baby is being taken care of in the hospital. And so you have to do what's best for you and your family. Obviously, if there's other children involved, you are, you need to spend time with them. You need to do the work you need to, you know, and then as much as you can, but call up there. If they have the kangaroo camera, you know, click on, see what's going on, but don't drive yourself into the ground because yep. your health mentally and physically will suffer. Um, and, yeah. you yeah. know, for me, it was hitting a huge, huge roadblock day 15 that woke me up to say, I can't do this. You know, I can't, I yeah. can't stay at this pace and doing lack of eating and lack of sleeping and all of this, my body just said, we're done. Check. We're out. Yep. Um, and then when I got healthy again, it was like, okay, I got to change some things because 
I think, too, it's when it hit me, this, he is really sick. And this isn't going to be over quickly. Um, So, well, um, how are you and Jameson doing today? We're doing great. He is a healthy, happy baby. Um, the the one little milestone we just had, actually, like within the past two weeks, is I was putting, he's three years old now, and I was putting on a pair of 3T pants, and he's getting, they're getting a little high water, and so he needs 4T, and this is the first time that he's, like, sized out of clothes, like that he needs bigger clothes for his, you know, age. Um, and so for a NICU mom, I'm like, wow, my yeah. little guy is growing and he's healthy and How yeah, he's, he's, come. he's, yeah, he's a little eating machine. Um, you know, it's kind of a joke of how many snacks he'll, he'll eat. Um, but yeah, he, he's a great kid and I'm just so lucky. I'm so lucky. Um, and you know, you mentioned before about me coming on as the Nashville director and, you know, this is something I hadn't even shared with you, but I, it was this summer that I was getting to a point where I was like, I need something that matters. I need something that brings me passion. Um, and it was like a week later that you put the email out looking for a director. So, um, in, in, in my own way, it's been, you know, it's been something that keeps me going. Um, because I, I, I do want to help other families um, and I've gotten to already working with y'all um, and just, you know, being able to be there. Um, and when somebody has that story saying, you know, you're not alone. Like yeah. I felt like I was so much. It's, it's been a blessing to be a part of the team. Yeah, for sure. Well, we are thrilled that you're on the team and, and um, thank you for sharing your story and Jameson's story with us. And, Thank you for um, loving families the way that you have and working so well with staff and volunteers in Nashville and your hard work on the event. Um, we are excited about this year's event and um, we will be um, putting out more information um, such as theme and so on soon. And um, we hope that all of our listeners will join us and Holly can always be reached at just Holly, H-O-L-L-Y at fourspencefund.org with two R's. If you ever want to just chat with her or talk or or um, have a listening ear or volunteer or give back or yeah. um, be a part of the event, um, she's uh, lives in Nashville. And so she's the boots on the ground for us in Nashville and working with the hospitals that we serve. And so um, we're thrilled to have you on. So thanks for sharing your story. Thanks for sharing yeah. Jameson's story with us. And we will talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our latest episode. We hope that this podcast is a resource for you and a source of support. Whether you are facing illness in your own family or want to walk beside other families dealing with childhood illness, we want the stories, wisdom, and knowledge shared to give you hope. Episodes will be released bi-weekly, so be sure to subscribe today.